0: I want to talk to you about a man who ended up in the wrong place who ended up in the wrong city it wasn't where he was supposed to be he wasn't as fortunate as many of us that are sitting in this place today because of a bad decision he made that we see what the end was and where he ended up at so let me build my case here for the next few moments I want you to take something to write with I want you to get ready to jot things down on your phone on your iPad um piece of paper for us older folks and then let's just let's just write this down for just a second how many still use paper and pen would you raise your hand oh this is the old crowd okay so here we go let's let's deal with this you have to have i believe i think you have to have three three people in your life that i think are really important and i think you have to identify them i think i think everybody in their life needs someone in the genre of an apostle paul what do you mean by that Everybody needs a Paul, which is really an older person, mentor, I think coach that can build into us, not necessarily someone who's smarter or more gifted, but really someone who has more journey, that has more. Uh, who's more weather beaten, has been down the road, um, and can guide us. And literally, and somebody's willing to share their strengths and weaknesses. Someone that literally could say, I've learned this in the laboratory of life. And let me walk you through that. Um, and, and let me just say this, you are never too old to have an apostle Paul to look up to. You're never too old. We, we always call it in our family processing up. Like who do you, if all you do is process this way, that's dangerous. Who do you process up with that's someone that can speak out of experience and out of relationship with God that can walk you through? I think everyone needs that. I think everybody needs a Timothy in their life. It's someone you're investing in, it's a a young person or somebody that you are affirming, encouraging, correcting, directing, praying for. It's it's who we would say, and let me just say this to staff and leaders at Times Square Church We, we say it like this Who's your bench? Who who is it? We'll say it like this. This is really important. You get hit by a bus on Broadway. Who then takes over? Do we have to go out? Do we have to go out and find somebody? But our, our job has to be investment. If, if Greg leaves here and gets hit by the bus or gets hit by the F train, we need, we need some, I mean, I'm just saying. So then who takes over? that we, it's really important. Uh, pastor Teresa, who, who's the bench that we have. It's always important that we're looking for that someone that, that we are bringing up and, 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 and bringing to that place. And then there's a third person, not only a Paul, Timothy, but jot this down. I think everybody needs a Barnabas in their life. Let me tell you what a Barnabas is. It's someone who loves you, but is not impressed with you. It's someone who loves you but is not impressed with you. That is willing to say, hey, I think you're messing up here. I, I, I think the way you spoke to your wife is not the right way. I, it's, I haven't seen you in church. I love you enough to tell you this. It's somebody in our life that we, can, that we know we can trust that that we have to make sure that I think it's important that those three people are part of our life, that there is a Paul that we process up, that there is a Timothy, which is a bench for us, and that there is a Barnabas, someone who loves us but is not impressed with us. I went on a a journey. I I only did it once, and it was interesting. Social media allows you to do this. I kind of went on a journey of people. I've been in ministry for 35 years, and it's amazing that social media will allow you to see people that started in ministry with you and to see where they are today and sometimes that's a scary thing and to, and to see people that started in in ministry, started with a fire, started with a real passion and a calling, and to see where they've ended up today, from, from very questionable lifestyles to, to, to areas that I, I think would would, would almost be um, scary for me that I kept thinking about. Thank God for the for the pauls in my life that kept me on track. Thank God for the Timothy's that, that motivated me to continue on, and thank God for the Barnabases that were, that loved me enough to tell me the truth. And a lot of what happened to those people that I went on a journey to see what has happened to them, I think I started to realize that one of these men that we talked about had an ending, which I think will surprise us because we find most of his life in the book of Acts. And then we've got to jump to another book of the new Testament to see the final, the final word. If it was like going to social media, the final word about this individual and his name is Barnabas. I want to tell you about this man, Barnabas, and I want you to follow with me on a journey. You know, they say that since Greece started, in a sense, the Olympics and um, those games that we, we, that the world celebrates, it was interesting. I was reading something that they said that the first races that would take place was not simply a race that would happen with, with legs and speed when it was a running race, but they used to have to run it with a torch in their hand. And it was something, and that's where we get the torch being passed from, from country to country. And they said it was the man that not only finished the race first, but finished with the torch still burning. And I thought to myself, God, I want to finish this thing with my fire still lit. I want to finish. I just want to just finish. I want to finish with a fire alive inside of me. And that's where I wanted to see. I want us to take a look at Barnabas' torch. I want us to see, and I want you to make the judgment call if it was still burning at the end. So let me walk you through a journey. Just jot this down with me as we go through. Because it all starts in Acts chapter 4. In fact, his real name is not Barnabas at all. His real name was Joseph. Barnabas was a nickname in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. It was literally for two things. This man is known as an encourager. That's what the name Barnabas means. And he's also known as Generous. Because in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37, Joseph, who later becomes Barnabas as a nickname, because he is such a positive, encouraging guy to be around. Can I pause here for a second and help you, Times Square, with something that happened with me yesterday here at Times Square that I want to encourage you? Can I help you? Somebody said this to me, and I had to say, Stop. Let's do this the right way. They said, Pastor Tim, I want to just say to you, I I want to encourage you, but don't get a big head. Don't get prideful. I said, stop right there. I said, if you're going to encourage me, then do it right. I said, you are not, listen to me, stop saying that. We live in a culture that beats us down. You're not the pride police, okay? Let's just get that straight. If you're going to encourage them, then just say it. Just don't worry about pride. The Holy Spirit can worry about that. If they're good, So after service at, at 6 o'clock, if Pastor David does good, Pastor David, I just want to say this to you, don't get a big head, but you really did it. Just say you did a good job, okay? <laughs> Enough of that. Here we go. So here's what I want to just say. He was encouraging and generous, sold the plot of land, and gave everything to the church. Then in Acts chapter 9, we see him show up again. He is a visionary. It's in Acts chapter 9 that the Apostle Paul becomes a Christian. He's on the road to Damascus, and this man who is killing Christians now comes into the church, and in Acts 9, 25 through 28, when he gets there, the Bible says that all the believers were afraid of him, and that they were were not only afraid of him, but they thought he was faking, is what the Bible says. Then Barnabas brought him, the apostle Paul, to the apostles and told him how he saw the Lord. I mean, think about this. What would you do if you just saw Jesus become born again, you show up into the church, and everybody's skeptical about you? You'd almost go, it's better to be out in the world. At least people are real. They don't even believe that I have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, think about this. If it wasn't for Barnabas, Paul could have just threw it all away and said, man, the people in the church act worse than the people out on the streets. In fact, let me say it to you this way, because the Bible says Barnabas took hold of him. Listen to these words. Truth be told, if there was no Barnabas, there may not have been an apostle Paul. Think about that for a second. If Barnabas didn't go, no, this guy's for real. He saw Jesus. We don't know if there would have been an apostle Paul because somebody believed in him. So think about this. He is an encourager. He is generous. He is a visionary. He saw something in Paul that not even Peter, James, and John saw. Do you know what the other thing is? He was a disciple. Or talk about a bench. Acts chapter 11, jot this down, verse 25. He goes and finds Saul again in Tarsus. And what he does is, when he found him, he brought him with them to Antioch, spent time there by pouring into Paul, challenging him, and even letting him do ministry with him. It was Barnabas and Paul at this time. So it wasn't like just, let me introduce you to the church, but let me grow you in your relationship. Think about that. You are generous. You are an encourager. You are a visionary. You are a discipler. Here's another one. Acts, Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12 I'm sorry, 13. He is a pioneer pioneer. pioneer. The first missionary team to go out is Paul and Barnabas. It says that in verses two and three, that the church right in the middle of a worship service, separate Paul and Barnabas and sent them out on the first missionary journey. Think of that for just a moment. You have an encourager. You have a generous man. You have somebody who is a visionary, a discipler, a pioneer. And Acts 14 says that God was using them both in a healing gift, Read the story on the first missionary journey. They were calling them uh, Zeus and Hermes because people were getting healed and they had to stop them and say, this is the power of Jesus. So when you think about what was going on, generosity, you think of the encouragement, you think of the visionary, to see something in Paul that no one else saw, a disciple, or not just to lead him to Christ or, or to help him into the church, but to grow him, to think of him being a pioneer, to have giftings from God of healing, And Finally, in Acts 15, he's literally seen as the church spokesman. He is an elder spokesman in the church. The church hit a pivotal moment in Acts 15 of wondering which direction we're going to go and literally facing a racist direction. Do we allow Gentiles even to come into the building? To even be part of the church. And it was Paul and Barnabas. And especially Barnabas in verse 12. That has to stand up. And the Bible says all the people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul. As they were relating the signs that they saw. Among the Gentiles. And literally. God would take this man. An encourager. A generous man. A visionary. A pioneer. A discipler. A man who had a healing gift. And an elder spokesman in the church. Think about who this man was. And then something happened in Acts chapter 15 that I want to read to you. This is where I think something begins to go awry and finds him in the wrong place. Listen to verse 36. And some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim from the first missionary journey and see how they are. Verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with him. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along because they deserted him in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, Times Square, look at verse 38. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement. They separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left him being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. He was traveling through Syria and Sicilia and strengthening the churches. So I want you to think for a second, Barnabas, one more time. Think about this. An encourager. He's generous. He's a visionary. He's a discipler. He is a pioneer. First missionary team. He's a, he has a healing gift. He's the elder spokesman at the Jerusalem Council. And there's no more mention of this man except one more verse. This is if you were to go on social media in the first century, you'd find out. And we don't have anything after Acts 15, verse 38 Until six years later, we have one more mention of this man, Barnabas, who is the visionary, who is the encourager, who is the discipler, who is the elderly spokesman, who is the the one that is the generous man. And let me read to you the final story of a man that I'm not sure ended up in the place that he was supposed to be. Listen to Galatians chapter two, verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had opposed him to his face. This is Paul speaking. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some of his friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism for these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Look at verse 13. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led away in the hypocrisy. I want you to think about this for just a moment. This is Barnabas, the man who is generous, the man who is an encourager. He's a visionary and a discipler. He is a pioneer. He is, has a healing gift. He is the elder spokesperson. And the last thing we have of him is he's called a hypocrite. A hypocrite? Think of this for just a moment. I remember one of, one of my Pauls in my life that I processed up with used to say these words to me. He says, Tim, always remember this. That the best of men are still men at best. The best of men are still men at best. And Barnabas the encourager is now ending with being called Barnabas the hypocrite. Barnabas the encourager is now finding himself in a city where I I was hoping to be in Jamaica. God said you need to be in Detroit because that is going to begin to change the trajectory of your life. And really for me to end up in Jamaica would be like Barnabas because it's like Barnabas ending up in Galatia. Paul's ministry partner, Paul's first mentor, Paul's co-pastor and missionary has now gone hypocrisy. And what a harsh word to hear the, the, the man that was discipled now calling his discipler. He's involved with hypocrisy. And I think this is so important that the first verse of Barnabas in 30 AD, he is an encourager and a giver. And now you think about 54 A.D., his last verse ever given in Galatians chapter 2, verse th- 13. 24 years later, Barnabas is finishing his race, it seems like, as a hypocrite. Listening, hanging out with people that, that are really starting to, to bring him down a road that he never should have gone before. How does a good man end up bad? How does a good man who starts off right How does the torch go out on something like this? Because what's deceiving about Barnabas is he is hanging out with religious people and we think everything's okay because he's hanging out with religious people. But doesn't realize that the very people he's hanging out with are part of the same thing that he's doing, which is the hypocrisy. I don't think I'm out of bounds here to think that six years later we get this Galatians verse that something happened to him in that disagreement in Acts 15. I don't think I'm out of bounds to look at a passage in Acts chapter 15. The Bible uses this word sharp disagreement. They go their separate ways. And I'm not, I, I, I have to believe when you look at the the passage and the scriptures, that something didn't, that something didn't get right in Barnabas. Like something happened at that moment in that disagreement that six years later has them in hypocrisy. I mean, think about this for a moment, Times Square Church. You take a boat and just just one one degree off doesn't seem like much, but go one degree off for six years, you can end up in hypocrisy. Like just to be here, to not have somebody in your life to kind of correct the one degree. Someone in your life, not kind of just go, let's get that back in, in line. But to continue on with something that's in there. And to go on for six years. You end up where Barnabas did. Which all of a sudden you go from encourager. And you end up six years later. Because you didn't deal with something there. And you end up in hypocrisy. You end up after all that happens. All that stuff in the book of Acts. Acts. Just that one degree for six years. I mean, think about this for a second, just for a moment. Acts 15 on that second missionary journey to Galatians 2 is six years. That means that that disagreement sat in his heart maybe for six years. Now, listen to me close for a second and jot this down. This is if there is a lie that I want you to get today, it's this. Time doesn't heal all wounds. That's that's just a phrase that people say. That's not Bible. That's not true. Listen to me close. A wound over time doesn't heal. It corrodes the heart. It begins to start bringing something there that you end up one degree off. Think about this for a second. Let me just say it like this. Time is an awful doctor for a wound in the heart. It mistreats and deceives its patients. Because the only thing that heals wounds is forgiveness. Not time. Forgiveness doesn't heal. I mean, time doesn't heal. Forgiveness. And what happens is when something gets broken, when a heart gets broken, when a spirit gets broken inside of us, if it's not dealt with, the longer it goes on, the more off course you become. That's the danger that goes on. That's why it's so important for us to understand this. I know we're right in the midst of here in New York, baseball season, and everybody's excited about the Yankees that they're doing so well with a, with like six people on the injured reserve. Let me let me give just a baseball thought here for a second. Okay, just a thought. Okay, everybody goes watch it, I'm a Met fan. So let me just say this to you today, just for a second. So let me go all the way back to the '30s. Considered to be one of the greatest pitchers ever in the '30s. In fact. There was only two people in the last 80, 90 years that literally had 30 game, season, 30 game wins in a season. One was Denny McLean for the Detroit Tigers, and another man is someone that we know his name by his, by his nickname, kind of like Barnabas. His name was Dizzy Dean. They were on the path, his team was on the path to becoming, literally going to the World Series, and what took place literally ended his career. He was playing in the All-Star Game, and when he was pitching, a ball during the All-Star Game hit him and and broke a bone in his left foot. What happened was, because he wanted to win the World Series so bad, he still pitched the entire season with a broken foot. And in order to do that, when you're throwing a ball, you've got to put a lot of weight. You've got to end with a lot of weight on that foot. But what he did was, he found a way... To not put the weight there, but to really change his arm trajectory and to throw it. And they said, throwing the way you are and as fast as you are literally ended his season in two years. Because what he did was he adjusted because of something broken. And he adjusted and ended his season. That what I kept thinking about was this. When you don't get something fixed. And you still stay in ministry and still preach and still sing. Something has to adjust in us. Something dangerous. That literally, look at me for a second. Listen choir. If there's something that got stuck here, you have to adjust. You can't sing certain words. You can't say certain things when you know that there is a wound inside of you. You can't lead and preach certain ways if there's something inside of you. Because when you do, now you have to switch your pitching motion. And what that does is shorten your longevity. Because now you're broaching a place called hypocrisy. That literally can destroy what's going on inside of your hearts. This is for all of us. This goes for everyone. Starting with me. Listen. If a relationship is broken and you don't address it and try to fix it, then we adjust our Christian walk. We adjust our words. You can't finish well. The torch doesn't, doesn't burn. You can't finish well with unforgiveness. I had a close friend, or a friend of the family, that I remember going to a funeral, and while we're at the funeral, the, the, the child, this, let, me, let me say it like this, because David Wilkerson was involved with this. There was a family many, many decades ago that had a child that was, had a terminal disease. And they asked Brother Dave to pray for the child. And while he was praying, the Holy Spirit spoke to Brother Dave and said, I'm not going to heal this child. I'm going to take him home for whatever reasons. And Brother Dave wrote a letter to them and said, I've been praying. And I want you to know that God is going to take your child but he's going to comfort you. He's going to be with you in this. That person took that note, folded it up and carried it for 40 years. And I saw the note at a funeral when, when all of a sudden at a funeral, they opened it up. It was literally falling apart because it's been opened and closed to show so many people saying, look what he said. Look. And what he said was true. The Holy Spirit did speak to him, and for whatever reason. And literally, for 40 years, they're carrying around a note to show people. And all I'm watching is their whole life, 40 years of something getting in. Barnabas, six years, he's in hypocrisy. Let that thing go on for 40 years. Who knows where we end up at? This could be a day that God finally gets us back on course today and lights the torch again So we can finish well again. That we've got to believe that God shows us these things in the Bible. That's why the Apostle Paul, and I wonder if he had this in mind when the Apostle Paul writes a few years later in the book of Ephesians and says, Listen, you will have sharp disagreements with brothers and sisters, you will have sharp disagreements on staff, you will. Begin to have sharp disagreements. But you got to fix them before you get on that cruise line around New York City. So listen to me close. Listen. The Apostle Paul says, you will have those. It's not. It's not un, you're not unchristian because you're in an argument. But the Apostle Paul says, you have a time limit though. It's not six years. It's not even next Sunday. Ready for this? It's sundown. You're allowed to be ticked till sundown. Then you got to get it right. Listen to what the apostle Paul said. Listen to these words. Drop this down. Ephesians 4:26 and 27. If you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Get over it quickly. For when you are angry, you give a foothold for the devil. What it says? Could it be? And what the apostle Paul was saying was, he says, "I've seen it firsthand. I saw it in my mentor. I saw it in my in my in my pr- person that discipled me that I processed up with. I saw it with my ministry co partner that he let the sun go down on his wrath, and all of a sudden, the one degree is going now a day. It's gone a week. It's gone a month. It's gone six years." And now the marriage is, is now hanging on by a thread. Now the relationship with, a, with your parent because of what a mom did or a dad did, what a pastor has done. That we, we think if we come to Times Square that we can just leave the church that we were at and all of a sudden, but really Times Square is not really God's direction. It's your deviation to get away from what you're supposed to deal with. Some of you are going, I knew we should have went to that other church today. I think it was Corey Tim Boone, the, the great woman of God that came out of the Holocaust that said this. She said, I can forgive, but I can't forget is only another way of saying I'm not forgiving. I think God may be showing us not to take those disagreements lightly, That there had been a, have the possibility of setting a course and a bad finish. How do you fix it? I want to, I want to close with this. How do you fix that? Let me be practical and then let me end with the big picture. I want you to get this today because I think we've got to get, I I don't want you going for six years. I don't want you to have a note for 40 years, but I want to help you today for just a moment. Just very quickly. I want to speak to you, not what the person did. I want to help you so you don't get off course today and you need to write this down. So you need, number one is this. I want you to have high expectations of you and low expectations of people. Well, Pastor Tim, that, that, just stay with me. High expectations on you, low expectations on them. Because what I want you to do is, I want you, as you make the journey to make something right, have no expectation that they're going to apologize. Have no expectation that they're going to own it. I'm, having, I'm saying put the expectation on you. Because some of you won't forgive because they won't own it. Some of you won't forgive because they won't apologize. And I'm telling you, you can forgive without an apology from them. And some of you have gotten one degree off. And because they haven't done their part, you haven't done your part. And I'm telling you, the expectation needs to be on you, not on them. So we start. Does that make sense? Okay. Stay with me because this is gonna. This is gonna get. I'm. I'm gonna be in your grill for just a second here. So just stay with me. High expectation on you. Low expectation on them. This is you making it right, not them making it right. Number two, you apologize for holding a grudge and not making it right. You apologize. What? You apologize. And said, I need to come to you. High expectation on you. Low expectation. Well, what if they, what if they don't own it? doesn't matter. You're not going to Galatia. You're not going to end up in Galatians 2. You're, you're going to end up in the right place. So number one is high expectation on you. Low expectation on them. Number two, you're going to apologize for the grudge that you held. For what you, you didn't say. I should have come to you. And I didn't have a chance to come to you. I want. And then you're going to say this. Number three. Get ready. You're going to have to choke this out. Please forgive me. Thank you. (laughs) High expectation on you. Low expectation on people. Number two. You are going to begin to apologize for holding it. And you're going to say, please forgive me. And you're going to end, number four, by praying for them. (gasps) This is the worst service I've ever been to in Times Square Church history. No, I'm just going to get your torch burning that when you finish this thing, you're going to be right on course and finish the right way today. Listen, because some of you have been off. You've, You've corrected your playing. You've corrected your singing. You've corrected your leadership. And today we make this right. So we go like this. High expectation on me. I want you to forgive me, please. I've held a grudge. And They're going to look at you like... They're, and, and they're going to pretend that you're the person. Like you're, you're the problem. And that's okay. And that's you're going to go, please forgive me. Not with an attitude. Forgive me. Okay. You're going to say it the right way. There's none of this. There's none of this. You're going to say, please forgive me. I've held a grudge. Can I pray for you? And at that point, back on course. At that point, we don't end up in Galatia. We end up with a fire still burning inside of our hearts and lives. Let me, let me close. I want Greg, since he's still alive, I want you to come. This is really important. And I want you to understand how important this is. Because this doesn't only deal with the relationship that we have with each other. Listen to me close. It also deals with the relationship we have with God. Nothing is worse than to go to a family reunion, a family gathering, and know that there's an elephant in the room that nobody's dealing with. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah. And nothing is worse than to think that I've come to church and I've dealt with God because I'm in his house. And there's an elephant in the room called, I haven't dealt with the sin in my life. Because some people think that if I just come to church, that God, that God is happy. Let me, let me define to you the difference between a religion and a relationship. Listen to me close. Let me tell you what a religion is. Religion is a lot of hard work to try to impress God. So much that he's going to invite us to live in heaven with him and in his house forever. That's what religion is. I'm going to make you like me, God, so much that when I die, I did so much for you to like me that you're going to bring me to heaven. Look at me, folks. Nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> to be in church and to think um, I'm in church, all's good, but not deal with the relationship with God, that, that will go on for a long time, and that will get you off course. What do I have to do, Pastor Tim? We've got to deal with a broken relationship with God. Church doesn't fix it. Tonight, we're going to celebrate water baptism. Can I just tell you, if you go into that tank and you're not born again, you're just going to come up a wet sinner. That's all you come up. You don't even come up changed. Because there's nothing in that tank. Let's just be clear. Because here's, here's the truth. We don't bring that water in. That's not from the Jordan. That's not that's not Israel water. Can I tell you where that water's from? It's good New York water. That's all that is. And how many know New York water is not going to change your life? Okay, let me just say that the only one that changes you is God Himself. This this building. Don't be deceived that just because you stood up and clapped with the choir, and just because you got excited about a message, and just because you sang some songs, that everything is right here. Because in order to be right this way, we have to fix that relationship. Pastor Tim, how do we fix that relationship? Here's Let me ask you the most important question anybody can ever ask you. And it's this. Have you been born again? It's the most important question you can ask. Not did you go to church. Not did you get water baptized. Not if you're a Catholic, if you're Jewish, a Protestant. You have to ask that question. Because Jesus said this. Jesus said these words. Unless a man or woman is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's Jesus. You cannot get away from those words. And if you want to go ahead and say, well, I came to church, I did this. Okay, let's just be really clear. Jesus said, the way you see heaven is not being in church, not taking communion, not being confirmed. It's not being, I was dedicated as a child. It's not even that your parents went to church. It's have you been born again? Pastor Tim, what does that mean? It's us dealing with that relationship. Because some of us have gotten so far off thinking I'm a good person. I've done all this. That you've gotten so far off that it's time to get us back on course here today. Pastor Tim, then, what, then, then how does that happen? Look at me for a second. Those in the annex, every home fellowship group, New Jersey summit, listen to me close. Jesus was saying this as definite as you had a first birth, you need a second birth. That's what he was saying. What, what is that? Okay, listen. My birthday was December 22nd, but I had to have a born again or second birth date where God began to change me like Greg sang from the inside out. And here's the part that I think we have to understand to fix that relationship. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? I'll tell you this every time it's as simple as ABC. And each one of those letters correspond to a word a it's admitting that we're a sinner. It's admitting that there is a sin issue inside of all of us that we can't fix with a priest, a pastor, a promise, or even a program. There's none of it. We can't fix it by going to church. You can drink all the communion cups you want to. There's not enough grape juice that can cleanse you free from that. You can't do it. You can try to act. You can make promises. I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this again. And we end up breaking promises. And today we've got to come and realize that there is a broken part of us called sin that we can't fix ourselves. We can try to fix the outside, but it's the inside that has the problem. Pastor Tim, then what do we do? That's the B word. That's believe that Jesus was sent by God the Father to fix the relationship with him. How does that happen? When he died on the cross, he died in my place. He lived a life that I couldn't live, died a death that I should have died and gave me a heaven that I didn't even deserve. That's exactly what God has come to do for everyone here. God loves us enough. He is trying to fix the relationship, the disagreement, the sin issue between you and God today. And you can't fix it by just showing up today. It has to be a decision to go just like you would go to a person. God forgive me. Come and change me from the inside out. Some of you have sat here, you've sung and you've listened but today could be your second birth date. Because if you can fix you, then why would God have to send his own son to die for you? If you, if you listen to this, because if you can fix you then God Sending Jesus through the abuse of the cross is the worst case of child abuse in human history. But we can't fix us, but God can. It's A, admitting I'm a sinner. B, believing that God died for me. And C, confessing him as Lord. Saying, you're the boss now. You're in charge of my life. Religion wants you to come on Sunday. Relationship wants to see you every single day. Religion, religion asks for 10 a.m. on Sundays. That's what religion does. Religion says, come at 10 a.m. and sing the songs and be part of a club. Relationship says, now God is in charge of my life. God is the one who's in charge. I want everybody here to bow your head with me, please. Annex, balcony, main floor, summit, Jersey campus, every home fellowship group, I want you to listen to me close. The most important question is that, it's that disagreement between you and God. Because we are born with a disagreement between us and God. That has to be fixed. And today can be fixed by being born again. How do I get to heaven? You have to be born again. In fact Jesus said these words. You must be born again. Times Square can't get you to heaven. This church. We can't get you to heaven. Jesus can. And today can be. A second birth. For you today. I want to pray a second birth prayer, a born again prayer with you today. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you that question. Have you been born again? And today could be that day. Today is the day that it all changes for you. You may have been off course, but today we get back on course. This is the moment that we know it's no prayer that changes you. This is the day that we go, God, This is me. You don't, and some of you are 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 trying to figure out, well, I've done this and I'm I'm presently doing this. I'm I'm just telling you, you don't get good and come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and He makes you good. Don't try to fix yourself up. Come come with all that's inside of you and let Him start the process. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you when we pray that born-again prayer, I want to be part of that, I want to start a journey. Okay, listen to me close. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And if you're here today, I want to start that journey with God. I want to be born again. I want that disagreement between me and God to be fixed. If that's you, and you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to begin that journey. Every head bowed, every eye closed and say, put me in that prayer. I want to be part of that. Would you just raise your hand right now? Hold it up as high as you can. As high as you can. Keep them up as high as you can balcony main floor keep them up here's what I'm going to ask you to do keep them up I want to pray with you right now would you just and let me say you won't even have to be embarrassed because these people are going to cheer crazy for you if you have your hand up would you stand up and walk down here and meet me right here quickly balcony and there's people just stand up balcony stand right up come on if your hands up stand up these people are going to let you out and we're going to clap I want you to come down here quickly balcony come on down this is going to be a great moment for you come on Hey, come on, Times Square. Let's begin to thank God for them coming down. As they come, let's all stand. Come on. As they come, put your hands together. As they come, this is a new day for us today. I'm so excited. I'm so excited today. This is going to be a second birth date for you today. Balcony, our ushers are going to let you down. And in fact, as you stand up, our people are going to excitedly let you through. In fact, some of them may tap you on the shoulder going, way to go. That's awesome. That means we're excited for you today. We're excited for you today. Come on, come on down. Come on, get closer because I want to pray with you. This is, and we're going to wait just a few minutes because some of the balcony people are making their way down. You being down here is exciting to us because you know what you're doing? You're fixing that relationship with God. How many know we've tried to make promises and they just don't, they just never work out? But we can't. What happens is when God comes and lives inside of us, then he works from the inside out. And that's what makes this exciting. So I want us today, before, I know we're gonna end with some baby dedications, but this is, before we dedicate these babies that were born physically, we've gotta pray with these that are being born spiritually today, is what we're gonna do. So we just wanna wait just for a second. I'm so excited. We're all gonna pray this together. So this is a prayer we're gonna pray. And literally, it just, we're just saying, let it come from your heart. This is this is God who loves you so much. He sent his own son to die for you. And this today, we're waiting for you. We want you to come down. We don't want to miss you. So we want to see you down here. So excited. Times square. This is why we exist. This is why we exist you got to take care of your sharp disagreement with people. They're taking care of it with God today. And that's what makes this exciting. Hey, I want us to support them. I want all of us to pray this together. Come on, let's say these words out loud. Would you close your eyes and say this? Dear Lord Jesus, Jesus, I believe believe. you're the Son of God. I I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, now say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is my home in Jesus name come on put your hands together